for folks in case the audio quality is significantly, obviously subpar. We are recording out of Eugene's lovely home instead of FMBG due to scheduling and technical challenges this week. Doing something a little bit different for the intro, we asked the Discord, which if you are a Patreon supporter, you get access to. We asked the Discord if you had any questions for us. Whole bunch came in. Eugene, you want to pick one you that go. you want to answer? I don't have them in front of me. Okay. <laughs> what is the best and worst street food in Hong Kong? And this is from Vicky Gu, who runs Current, C-U-R-R-A-N-T, a food publication. So thanks, Vicky, for the question. Best and worst street food subjectively. These are personal wow, opinions here. Wow, this is hard. Here. I think it's just boils down to our personal preference right that's how i should be answering it we're going personal preference you know what something i didn't like a lot was curry fish balls that was going to be my worst one yeah i don't really like those the reason being is just so artificial but even the thing is that the street stall ones are often just flour so it's just a flour ball in my opinion doused in curry sauce i mean for me my favorite is probably an unpopular opinion as well all right it's the beef offal O-F-F-A-L. Like That's Valtau. your favorite? Man, yeah. Okay. It's I like basically like, like a... I like Alza, but I worry... You gotta describe what it is. It's oh, just basically like, like a uh, shit mix in- of Intestines. Like intestines, like liver. Yeah, it's internal organs. I like... Don't get me wrong. I like beef intestines, awful, etc. But I always worry about the street stall ones in terms of hygiene. And they're not clean. Yeah. I mean... Like, I would worry more about getting that from a street stand as opposed to fish balls. And if I'm going to eat outside, right, beef inner, inner organs, it's going to be at a restaurant. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that I've never tried before. You I know what it stands? is. Okay. My favorite is goes back and forth, but they're both kind of in the same category, which is gailanzai and gakzai bang, which is egg one? waffle. I obviously know what egg waffle is. Well, the second one also translates as egg waffle. It's the like actually flat waffle sandwich. Oh, no, those are all gross. I like it. Like, okay, it's too much though. But wait, let me describe it. So egg waffles, probably quite familiar with people. It's like like large bubbles. It's like blister packs of yes, waffles. Blister packs. And original flavor kind of just tastes like a pancake, like crispy pancake. The other one I'm referring to, it's like a waffle sandwich. And then inside they put peanut butter, condensed milk, butter, and sugar. And I love that shit, but it's not good for you. So like in, in short, I think when you have these ones that taste good, they're crunchy on the outside and then... And then like soggy sweet on the inside. Yeah. But usually it doesn't happen. I'm talking more about the first one. Oh, 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 yeah, the egg waffles yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's a ton of stuff there that I don't, I never eat any of the fried stuff. Oh, same. Yeah. Same. All right. If you are in the Discord, ask us more of your burning hot questions that don't have to be about cultural news at all. Eugene and I are tired of coming up with our own banter. Big thanks to Vicky because that made my life a lot easier this week. And if you're listening to this, definitely check out Current. It's at staycurrent.com. Stay, C-U-R-R-A-N-T. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. 
We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making Up is produced by Megan, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really, we are working through things, and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making It Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash for Discord access, exclusive newsletters, and more. Let's get into it. My topic this week is Naomi Osaka withdraws from the French Open, citing her mental health. So the so the news itself is pretty much everywhere. This is a little bit different than us discussing like a particular op-ed or a cultural movement. It's just a piece of news, right? Obviously, we're at the beginning of June right now, but late last month, tennis superstar Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open after not participating in news conferences post-victory or just in general, right? And I think it's not that she herself was withdrawing because of any sort of like underlying performance. It was more that she did not want to participate in any news conference post-match, win or lose. Yeah. Right? Well, I think the context that I had to understand in relation to this news is that French Open participants slash my understanding, all of the tennis tournaments. It's pretty normal the for athletes, athletes to do Well, press. not just normal, but that the athletes are required. Expected, yeah. Like, it sounds as though there's some legal contractual obligation of participating athletes to be present at press conferences post-match. Yeah. yeah. And what's unique about this was it wasn't a spur of the moment, I don't feel like talking. It's like before the tournament, I think, started, she was like, I will not do any post-match press. And the French Open officials were like, well, we're going to continue to levy heavier and heavier fines if you don't participate. Well, that's a kind of inaccurate. So what happened is that Osaka announced that she was going to skip all the press conferences. And then the French Open fined her $15,000, which Osaka understood was going to happen. Yeah. That she was going to be fined. But on top of that, what not only the French Open did, but they got together with the organizers of all of the Grand Slam tournaments, Wimbledon, Australian Open, U.S. Open, and wrote a, let- a statement that said Osaka was warned she could face suspension from future Grand Slam tournaments and harsher penalties. Oh, I missed that part. Uh, so after, after all this controversy arose, she was decided, you know what, I'm just going to withdraw. Like, and from the, the tournament entirely. Yeah. I'm not going to play even. Yeah. And I think what's important to understand is like her perspective. And I'm going to read bits and pieces of her statement she posted on Twitter. And it's her, her second letter. So she made her first announcement withdrawing from press conferences, mm-hmm. also on social media. And then when she decided to withdraw from the tournament entirely, she also made an announcement on yeah. Twitter. As Sharice mentioned, this is from her second letter. Hey, everyone. This isn't a situation I ever imagined or intended when I posted a few days ago. I think now the best thing for the tournament, the other players, and my well-being is that I withdraw so that everyone can get back to focusing on the tennis going on in Paris. I never wanted to be a distraction, and I accept that my timing was not ideal and my message could have been clearer. More importantly, I would never trivialize mental health or use the term lightly. The truth is that I have suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, 
and I have had a really hard time coping with that. Anyone that knows me knows I'm introverted, and anyone that has seen me at the tournaments will notice that I'm often wearing headphones as that helps dull my social anxiety. Though the tennis press has always been kind to me, and I want to apologize especially to all the cool journalists who I may have hurt, I am not a natural public speaker and get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the world's media. I get really nervous and find it stressful to always try to engage and give you the best answers I can. And I, to kind of wrap up the rest of it, she basically says that she was feeling very vulnerable and anxious and that she personally felt it would be in her best interest to protect herself and her performance by just not participating. Yeah. And she also highlights, you know, she feels the rules in general, not just applying to her, but for all athletes could be updated and that she would like to work with tournament organizers to see if they can make things better. Yeah. Push this off to the side. I want to raise this one tweet that came from the thread in which she posted this. So this one tweet by Ross Patterson, who happens to be verified on Twitter, not that it means a lot. Well, not especially now that Twitter has opened applications for verification. Close it again. What? Yeah, close okay, it. Okay, slide right. bit of news. Anyways, Ross Patterson, who goes by the Twitter handle at St. James St. James. He's an actor, director, producer, screenwriter, and New York Times bestselling author. Anyways, his comment was, in all sincerity, and I, I feel a bit of snark here, in all sincerity, there's probably no need to be a professional athlete then. Press is part of the process due to the massive winnings that are awarded. There's plenty of opportunities at the local level and teaching that don't require daily press conferences. Good luck. I think the part of it that I have a problem with that I've been thinking about in relation to this news is the idea that press is part of the process. And there's been a lot well, of... Contractually, it is. Well, yeah, but does it have to be? As the organizer, that's those are the rules I set up. Like, just don't participate is one way of looking at it. Like, this is actually why I brought this up. The reason I brought this up is that this is not about contracts, like pen and paper contracts. But I don't but think it's that, about, yeah, my question is like, do you think press is a necessary part of professional sports? Yes, 100%. Oh, I disagree. You're, I mean, you're, to be honest, sports is entertainment, right? Yes, but it's the sport itself that's the entertainment. Mm, I mean, yes it's, and no. It's, it's the, the whole Osaka thing. Osaka on the court. It's the whole second thing. Second ranked in the world playing for me. That is the entertainment, not the part where I hear Osaka speaking about do you, do you her think emotions. Fashion and in sports is, is part of. Sorry? Do you think fashion and sports, what they wear? Well, yeah. Exactly. That's still like, that's. I like, don't see how that's a relevant all, question. There's, there's this whole ecosystem. How is that ecosystem a relevant question? They don't have to speak for me to get the fashion I'm saying part that of this. Just because I can it's not, see what they're Just wearing. because they're not, they're, it's not part of their quote unquote playing process. There's actually this whole thing that's part of it. I think it should be optional. Oh, it, well, the thing is, I have no problem. So this is where my, my, my issue with this well, whole like, thing I think, is. And I say not, not even just for Osaka, right? Like, I think the interesting part about this is to question press in our expectations of athletes across the board, whether that is like NBA, football, anywhere. Like why should athletes who I think get into it because they are very good at the sport, right? Like at the actual athleticism part of this, be obligated to do this like it's, entertainment celebrity part. Because it's part of, it's part I of like this. I disagree the, that it It's part, be of, part the, of the it. social and athletic contract. This is what I was going to get at. So for me, I think there is an interesting question to be posed here. Where I have no problem with Naomi Osaka deciding what she wants to do. As long as she's okay with the, the repercussions, which she knew was coming, right? I'm 100% okay. But I also don't agree with 
the fact that like if something is set up in a certain way that just because you don't agree then suddenly that's invalidated there are certain organizations that exist and they serve the in many ways yes they're controversial like look at uefa look at fifa like corrupt as shit like i'm not saying that that's okay what i'm trying to say is that like in general there is a sort of fabric that's developed okay and that fabric is all-encompassing of whoever set it up and that's how they want to do it but why can't there be change to the way that fabric is set up there can but i'm just saying like at this point in time the way that it's set up is like if she doesn't want to do it that's fine she wants if if yeah but if she wants to change it why can't she also say like hey let's try to change this but her change is based off of you know one particular person's opinion what happens if i love giving press interviews so well, then does that invalidate that she changes like, the entire I'm, organization based just to accommodate her individually it sounds like it, i'm sure she would work with other tennis players right i, I highly highly doubt that osaka think, is the only person and based off of like you know what the williams sisters have said what other tennis players have said it, it no doesn't seem like everyone is excited about doing press no one no one enjoys the i think most like i agree so then why do it but i think it's part of the the broader narrative of what it represents that's the thing is like, it, ultimately, there is a lot of things we do that we don't want to do, but it's part of like the social contract. I don't understand what, I honestly don't understand what we get out of the, forcing the athletes to do press. I mean, I, I, I personally like to, I, I enjoy listening to press conferences. I like seeing what people say. I mean, obviously, they're, it's not the most ideal, but I think that part of a broader ecosystem. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that in, in many ways, like this itself, 100% okay to remove this. I, I, I have no issues with it, but I think that you just have to be ready for the repercussions of what happens when you remove something, not knowing how it all fits together. I don't think it has to be, okay, I'm not advocating like no press ever. And therefore there's like no sports journalism and players never do press conferences, right? Like we're not going like extremes here. It's not like a contractual obligation, everyone forever and, or none at all. Like there must be a way to reach a point where players have more flexible options then you know what's going to become you know what's going to happen it's going to be me sitting down with a brand and i'm going to feed you lines like that's why for me i like press conferences because it's in some ways a form of journalism because it's a journalist asking you it's there's no brand involved i'm not saying things that that's that's my whole thing and i can understand why athletes don't like it it's because there's a sense of vulnerability but it's also like as a journalist, that's what you're doing. Otherwise, okay, it's going to be, must, hey. There can also be changes to the system that don't involve brands. Like one, one problem that Osaka raises is the fact that they do post-match conferences directly after matches while they still have training the next day and the matches coming up, right? Like, is that ideal in a tournament setting? Like there are things like this that could be amended. She had said in one of They're her- They're all doing it in though. In her letter that she would be willing- they all have to do it though. That's the thing. Yes, like, but maybe it's stressful for everyone in that situation. And then it's equalized. She said like, oh, what if we all did press like after the tournament ended? You know, like I'm just, I'm not saying that she's definitely right on all these points, but I do think that there's possibilities for the athletes to be happy in a situation that still has, as you're saying, like journalistic integrity and the player's well-being at heart. Like I said, I have no issues with her deciding what she wants to do. Yeah, I got that. I think that. that's 100% valid. But you're also saying you don't feel like there's any need to change the way that tournaments are setting I think up that, their press. No, I'm saying the tournament can run itself however it wants. If there's if there's someone that wants to break away, if Naomi... But you don't feel like the tournaments need to actively reconsider 
the way that they are doing. No, press because with if athletes. because if enough people feel like I don't want to participate in tournament, they'll just if someone decides to start like tennis organization B and everyone leaves, I have no issues with that either. Uh, for me, I am actually like organizationally agnostic. I don't care. What I'm trying to say is that as the organization, they can do whatever the hell they want. And if they're going to lose tennis players, they're going to lose tennis players. Do you know what I mean? Like what I'm trying well, to yeah, say I is mean, that- but that's not productive either to say like, yes, obviously organizations can do whatever the hell they want, but so can the athletes. They can is, also all decide to withdraw. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like tennis organization wants to run their ship a certain way. Let them run it how they want to run it, but also just be ready for the consequences. This is, this is for me what's interesting is that there are certain things that are part of like a social contract and a social fabric. How we behave when I, when I leave my house, technically I should wait if the crosswalk is red, right? All these things. Like I find it very interesting to see how these invisible forces keep things in some sort of rough alignment, right? And, what, and I'm also very curious is when people decide to step away from this sort of social fabric and decide to do their own thing, what happens? Like, actually, that's why this was so interesting to me. Like, I think that's what's amazing is that she's been able to step away. Obviously, she's one of the best tennis players in the world. She has the ability to do this. Like, if you're ranked number 295th and you do this, what's going to happen? Obviously, yeah. you don't have the same leverage. Yeah. Right? So, any which way you look at it, she is in a privileged position. I don't mean that like, oh, I'm taking a jab at her, but she really is. Like, no, she is. Her the hell I mean, she wants. she's... Number two in the exactly. world. Exactly. And then Sweet Green, who she's an investor, who supports her, they're they're behind her. Like I think this is great in the sense that you have the decision, but there's also like questioning what happens through this. And I'm not saying like any which way, like this could be a, a massive moment in tennis history where there's actually big changes. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that in general, I'm trying to like kind of understand the what I said can be seen as divisive, but I also think it's more about understanding what is the step afterwards you can lay like a fence post and be like hey i'm gonna build a new fence going this direction right but then what happens to the previous one how will i build the next one earlier when you said oh the organizations can do what they want the athletes can do what they want it's kind of the same as like not taking a position because that's like always going to be true right no like, but a lot they can do what they do volition. and then the next step is like hey yeah, you know no, what? and they have consequences but i don't think that's like very interesting to say because like that's just the fact of the world right like yeah you can always choose to step away from something and then there are consequences you know what's kind of interesting is like this is to me like let's say the top 32 tennis players in the world decide to break off and start their own tennis series would that yeah. be good or bad good you know so what you just said is good right because they would define their own rules they would keep more well, of the money. I don't money. know objectively that what they then set up would be good, but I think that people deciding to leave and start something is a good yeah. move. Which I think is very interesting because you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the European Super League that wanted, was going to start up. Which oh was, yeah, you in know the what I mean? intro bit. That's why it's like kind of interesting because like in some ways, these are people that want to push against the governing body that's above them because they feel the rules are inadequate to them. Mm. So I think that's why it's like such an interesting topic where the power is really in the club or the talent. Well, I mean, this is different because tennis is an individualistic sport. Yeah. Another one is like a, a club and you're a player in the club. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But yep, yep. That's what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of like contradictory points. Like, why is this one good? Why is this one bad? Why is that one bad? Why is this one good? Mm. Right. And I obviously Naomi Osaka's desire to break away is not based off of greed. It's based off of like my personal interest and, and my health. And her well-being. Yes. Yeah. Well, this was such what an for me, what was interesting about this was actually 
the relationship between press and sports mm-hmm. and how much, you know, that's the question I asked you at the beginning is like, how much do people feel like we deserve access to athletes in a certain way? And I don't think that it should be this like all, you know, necessarily completely granted yeah. access to athletes. Like I, mean, I think you can report about sports without having to speak to an athlete personally. It's going to be the same as an email interview. Hey, but no, you know what I mean, that's like, what I'm saying. Like, you, this is you can what... report about, but you can do reporting without speaking to the subject. Like, you know how people write like exposés about companies, and the company never actually like gives an answer. Yeah, you but... talk to all these other people, and you do observational things. And I'm just saying, there are ways to do reporting that don't require like actually interviewing the person at the heart of it. But is that the best outcome? I think that athletes should have the right to not be as much a celebrity as they want to be. And it's not just in tennis. Like, but I feel like there's that's a part trend the about athletes saying, I would like to tell my story my own way. I'd like but to then just when you do you that, know, post on social media. Said, you like, know? Then, it, then it changes the narrative, right? Because you control the whole narrative, which is why already the, the journalistic aspect of sports, I think, has been quite difficult. I'll, don't get me wrong. There's shitty sports journalists. There's good sports journalists. Right? But at the end of the day, like, I think the the purest in me likes the ability to go to the source, but I but I also think that it's like to 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 say that the the journalist slash press conference doesn't matter also means that in many ways like sports media doesn't matter because I you're, don't think you're I not, disagree. I'm not saying that I don't think I'm saying that the press conference doesn't matter or that sports journalism doesn't matter. I just think that athletes should get more choice as to whether they participate in it or their not. choice would be probably no. Their choice would probably be like, I don't want to do any press at all. I, if I if I was to be honest, I don't think that's true, either. Like as much as there are athletes who are going to say no, there are lots of athletes that are going to say yes. Yeah, I mean we don't know that. Do you? Yeah, we yeah. don't. So we I don't, don't think you can say for sure. I just think like it seems weird to. I just don't think it makes sense. I didn't even really think about it that much before this, but to like have athletes be forced to speak to press in post match situations but i think force is such a strong it's like just but it is part, a of, it's part of the part. job description there's certain things that when you're hired as an employee you're supposed to do. that's them that's my I, then line. i don't think that they should be then then if, if that's the like because like because i don't think of sports as like it's sh- in the same way that i just weird you know like you said it's like entertainment but sports i is think 100 like there's no other way of like but i don't think that, that someone who's like passionate about the sport is like in it because they want to be like famous isn't it because like but it comes with the territory though but that's like it's because you want to be the best at this activity but that's an externality that comes with it though that's, it's like it's like a lot of things that just so happen like it, it's just like there's certain things that by virtue of you doing it, it it's part of the package and i think that we don't always get to pick the package that's what i'm saying like for me i have no problem with naomi osaka deciding what she wants to do do whatever the hell you want 100%. And I think it's great. She has the support. She has amazing sponsors that like are totally for her. But at the same time, it's like the, the, the outcome and the, 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 the space that's left in the void can and will be filled. Right. And that's the unfortunately cutthroat mentality of sports. Like Naomi Osaka won't be the best tennis player forever as yeah. in general. Like, no, of course not. That's just the way it's it is. Possible. And like, there's certain people I may like, this is just me sort of like putting on a very corporate hat. Cause as much as we think sports is this very romantic thing, I knew a long time ago, like once there's money on the table, sports is not as romantic as you think it is. 
You have obligations to your team, to a league, to a sponsor. You need a sense of professionalism to it, right? Like I, that, this is one thing I remember very vividly. Like Alex Maland, like from Macon, obviously shot David Beckham. He's like he was so professional, showed up on time, did everything he was supposed to do. And why? Because he treats it like a business, which is exactly what it is. It's nothing more, nothing less. It wasn't like oh, I, I felt like you know doing something else for an extra twenty five minutes, so I ended up being twenty five minutes late. No, it's like. It's a job. I have to show up on time. And, you know, you have the luxury of doing a certain task that most people, even if they train their ass off, they wouldn't be able to do it because they don't have the genetics. A lot of things, they don't have the opportunity. For me, let's not confuse sports with anything more than like it's a really sweet job in most cases, right? But it comes with responsibility. I still disagree that the responsibility should have to include granting all the press access that you they ask of you. I mean, our yeah. argument right now is like, is this part of the job description? And you think no. I think no. Yeah. That's and what it comes down to. I but think it, about it in general as well. Like if you are an artist as well, like you should choose, I want to be an artist and not have the fame element of it. I'm just going to make art. Or like yeah, if you you're just, a musician or an actor, like I don't think that, yeah, I understand what you're saying about like being professional. I'm not saying people should be unprofessional, but and obviously, yes, they have to accept consequences. Like if I did press, then maybe I get further. Maybe there's like more money. At the same time, I don't think that they should be obligated to do it. I accept that there are consequences to not doing press, no, but they shouldn't be required to. But, but in regards to the organizational bodies, they did say that it's part of the yeah. obligation. So in that case, so then, it's like, no, I know. So I understand. Like Naomi has to deal with the fact that like maybe she doesn't get to play in the Grand Slams anymore. But I also think that maybe you know, not just the tennis organization, but all athletic bodies could think about the way they run press. Yeah. I, I think both of those things can be true. Yeah. I mean, the unfortunate reality behind sports is that you have a very defined window and it's very easy to get blackballed and your most productive years are lost. If like, if Naomi Osaka decided tomorrow she wanted to retire from tennis because it was too much, I wouldn't, I would be like, Hey, you have to respect anyone that decides to take their destiny in their own hands, right? Yeah, of course. At the same time, like, so I guess well, no, you're I'm right. I'm not denying I, that. I, I, I can see how, I think I can, I 100% understand that you think the way I look at it is right down the middle, like, oh, well, do what you want to do. The one, I, the one thing that I just want to reiterate is that whatever happens, she can make a decision to do whatever, but what is the follow-up and how does this thing change? And like, I, if by this time next year, the organizational body behind tennis decides that hey you know what yeah you're right you know we will change the whole structure around how we do press conferences then consider that a win i would but at this given moment in but time, i also am not like oh my god the french open what dickheads you know that's yeah. like not how i feel but i think that there is an opportunity here for them to have a think about the Correct. way they're doing press and so it would probably be to their benefit I to always, like take a look at it. I always think about this because like the, basically Os- Osaka's putting up a, a big fight, right? And obviously if you want to change, you need to fight. So is there a way for you to actively achieve change without the fight? Probably not. I just wonder organizationally how that would look. And she said this herself that, oh, maybe she didn't give them enough heads up or she wasn't clearer. So I suppose like hindsight's twenty twenty. If much early, like a year before the French Open, 
she said, hey, I'm not feeling the press thing. Like, can we talk about this with you guys as organizers? I would still really love to play this. And like they behind the scenes, like not in front of the public, you know, try to work something out like that could have happened, but it didn't. Right. It could still happen in the future. Yeah. I guess that's like the way to go that, you know, to answer your question of like without the fight and this in a way she did bring this fight out into the public, right? Where it's this like, Oh, I mean, we're talking about it right now on a podcast. I have a question. Does she need to disclose her challenges with mental health for this to be validated? Cause I feel like I don't think she had to do that for the public. I think it's interesting that she did decide to like litigate this on Twitter I do think it would be important to tell the French Open that, like the organizers, like to be honest about the situation, because one other thing that I've seen people talk about is like, and this is true for any occupation, like not just athletes, but you know, how does, you were talking about being professional, right? So Mm -hmm. this is like their workplace. How does the workplace protect athletes' emotional and mental well-being? You know, is there an obligation there? or? Um, organizing bodies to be more thoughtful about what they're providing. And I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but it's in their interest too, right? Like they don't want athletes burning out left and right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And some don't care. Like just straight up don't care. You mean organizing bodies? Yeah. Like the NFL probably doesn't care. Like, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's a great point well, that you raised yeah. in terms of like workplace health. Cause yeah, I think there is a responsibility there as well. But I guess maybe it's just like the way in which is, was it mishandled? No, I don't think so. Because I think these things just come up. Like they're very. Yeah. Maybe she didn't know a year ago that she was going to be like, I don't want to, the press is going to make me, you know, spiral into something. Yeah. I do want to read a few tweets of support that she received. So here's a tweet from Steph Curry. You shouldn't ever have to make a decision like this, but so damn impressive taking the high road when the powers that be don't protect their own. Lewis Riddick. DSPN, one under respect for the self-awareness and maturity this young superstar is showing. Can't say the same for many that judged her and her actions before knowing more about her story. Mental health is no effing joke. Best of luck, Naomi Osaka. You have a new fan. Jamila Jamil said, let's boycott the French Open. Naomi is the most exciting player anyways. Imagine punishing someone for having anxiety in 2021. So I think in short, I'm not trying to like dismiss the, the mental health aspect of it. But I guess, you know, I, I think that in some ways, my my initial projection probably felt like it was dismissive. No, I don't think you were. I didn't, I didn't feel that way. Th- this is probably like the incorrect way of like how I look at a lot of things. And it's probably a little bit of like this community collectivist vibe that I have is like the individual eats the shit if it's for like the greater good of something that has already been established. And eating like, shit is, is kind of this eating weird the shit for though. You know, it's more about the, the the sort of like structure. And when I say structure, it kind of went back to the social contract thing. But like, who is she soldiering on for? Like our entertainment? Like that's not a sacrifice worth making. I think. Well, it's more about the process. I've generally felt that my own feelings matter very little if it's in relation to a a broader narrative. But that's also probably of a a perspective that not very many people believe in. I don't know, but like earlier you said that, you know, she can do what she wants and that's true. And she, she definitely did not have to say, I've been suffering from depression for three years and she would still be 
in her right to withdraw. Yeah. No, no. I, I think that she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. But my own perspective has always been that like I would rather be more calculated and trying to figure out a solution than me. I think I think there's a more of a, a instead of like a hard turn, it's more of a gradual, like almost nefarious way of like bending, like subtly pushing people in a direction. But this is her solution is to remove herself from the thing that is hurting her. Well, first it was to not do the press. Yeah. Right. And that didn't work out. Yeah. So she removed herself from the tournament. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think of it as such a hard line, you know, like I don't. Well, like I think about personal examples and I've definitely had friends at jobs that were causing them a lot of stress, like mentally, emotionally, always stressed about work or their manager or feeling like, you know, just generally feeling shit. And I always tell them like, well, okay, there's a point of privilege, right? And leaving your job, but like establishing that they can, I'm like, leave your job. Yeah. I don't, they do try to, a lot of people do try to do what you you say and like be, how can I bend this in yeah. my favor? But sometimes you just have to walk away. Yeah. I think that maybe the, the point of contention here is more about how individuals handle it, which is pretty weak ass answer to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you can keep on saying like how you would handle it, but just knowing that, you know, that is exactly how Eugene would handle it. As opposed to like necessarily being how everyone is going to. Yeah. Because that's, I think ultimately there is no right or wrong answer because every individual's approach to how they will solve this is going to be different. Like even for myself, there's times when you're stressed or whatnot, like, I don't really like talking about it. But that, but that theoretically is probably the incorrect way of approaching it. But once again, it comes to the invalidation of everyone's due process. This has come up in the news in relation to Osaka. There have been a lot of other athletes who have refused press conferences or try to find ways around this. And Marshawn Lynch was one of the people who was brought up. He's an NFL player. He would show up at press conferences, but then just like be goofing around or like giving one word answers to everything. So that's kind of more like your approach, right? Like he's showing up, exactly, but he's like not playing by their rules like he is i'm gonna say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna show up but i'm gonna say no to everything just give that one answer i'm just not gonna say anything yeah stuff like that so yeah i mean different players he was also fined tons of money over the course of his career yeah i think the difficulty also lies in that the organizations themselves serve a purpose albeit probably an outsized purpose so at what point do you say like well i'd much rather bring the whole thing down and start something new or just leave. You know what I mean? Because I agree, like a lot of these things, maybe maybe 50 years ago, the press conference was a minor deal because you couldn't capture that, share it on social media millions of times, continue the conversation and dialogue. Yeah. I mean, you could say that maybe it's time for organizing bodies to be more innovative about press and athletes. like. Who's to say that they can't do, God, I'm going to sound like such a boomer, but like TikTok press conferences with players. Do you know what I mean? Like we could update the model to be more exciting to like players and fans and the organizing body. That's my optimistic take on this. Yeah. All right. The last thing I want to read is this passage in the New Yorker by Louisa Thomas. 
It has not traditionally been the job of the press or the job of the public to protect the feelings of prominent public figures. Athletes have long been praised for their stoicism, but as ideas and attitudes about mental health have shifted, and as athletes have become more outspoken about aspects of the profession that many of them consider demeaning or dehumanizing, dynamic between players and the press has changed too. Mental health is, and perhaps always will be, imperfectly understood. There are, and probably always will be, arguments about what, if anything, professional athletes owe to the press and to the public, and what is owed to them. Athletes are entitled to their humanity, but not necessarily to perfect self-confidence. If Osaka's first statement had read more like her second, the terms of the debate surrounding them might have been different, although some of the same battle lines likely would have been drawn. So I think, yeah, it's kind of what I'm, I'm saying, like, do you need to reveal your mental health challenges? Because in some ways, mental health and like me having a nagging groin injury or hamstring pull are kind of two in the same now. You know, there's they're, they're effective. They're, they're things that affect my performance. Yeah. So while, while one is intangible, I think that what I'd like to see out of this is like maybe there is this element of transparency around ailments. Does that make sense? Mm. I think that had she led with the second one or the tonality of the second one, it might have just changed. Like, here's a reason why I will not be giving press conferences. And if I want, I'm, I'm going to make this up. But like, if I want to protect my performance and I want to be able to succeed and win this fifth Grand Slam, I need this to happen. Um, as a side note, which I thought was interesting, Calm is a mental health app. Mm-hmm. Apparently the number one app for sleep, relaxation, and meditation. They kind of took advantage of the situation for their own benefit, but I suppose it's a good thing in the name of mental health. And they donated 15000 you know, the amount of Osaka's fine to an organization in the mental health space in France. And then on top of that, they also said they're going to pay the fine for any other players who opt out of Grand Slam media and match that fine Mm -hmm. to that mental health organization. So like 30K per player, essentially, which is a pretty big price tag to be willing to put up. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting discussion. Yeah. I mean, I think it's... It sort of devolved into like, well, how would you handle it, right? Because I, I, I think we can do whatever the hell they want. It's yeah, but I already said that's not. It's like, well, why would we? We wouldn't come on to this and talk about it if we just concluded like, well, everyone can do what they want. You know that we would have no reason to be here. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. My topic this week is welcome to the post sellout era. And this is an article that was published in Fast Company, written by Yasmin Gang. The author opens by saying Amanda Gorman, who's the National Youth Poet Laureate who is at the presidential inauguration, has recently signed with IMG Models Beauty and Fashion Division and also has been commissioned by Nike for this Black History Month campaign. And Yasmin points out like this is a new phase of the creator economy where poets and artists are just as desirable to brands as A-list actors and actresses. So that's one trend that she points out, you know, that formerly would have been obscure poets and creators are equally lucrative brand signings. And also that there's no period of time between an artist making it and a brand signing it. I thought this is interesting for me because I definitely remember as like a young person 
there being, I mean, we were just jerk teenagers, but there was definitely conversations around celebrities being sellouts. Mm-hmm. Was that true for you, like growing up? Yeah, of course. What whatever brand that they associated themselves would define the selling out nature of it, right? The yeah, bigger like, the brand, the more corporate. I definitely remember that era of you seeing some artist or musician sign with a corporate deal and you would then judge them to be a sellout and it would be like judging them for compromising their creative values. And so Yasmin points out that nowadays fans don't resent creators for signing with corporate deals. And I was wondering if that's actually true. Well, because Yasmin doesn't state any studies, right? Not to say that she hasn't done her work, but I don't know. I just kind of questioned whether that's actually true about how fans feel. Mm. Well, I think actually nowadays fans are seemingly okay with the corporate nature of their celebrities and influencers. If I follow Sharice from day five and then she signs a massive deal with McDonald's, I feel like I'm part of that. That's interesting. I mean, this is the big big change that we've endured in the last 12 to whatever. Basically, ever since the whole digital world was consumed by sponsorship, right? Yeah. It's just desensitized us. So I think that selling out inherently should be seen as compromise on one's art versus they're making money. I do agree that if you're like a day one fan, you look at your creator and you think, Yes, get that money. It's not so much, oh, I'm excited. I don't necessarily believe that fans see an artist sign with McDonald's and think, oh my gosh, like, you know, artist name and McDonald's. That's like the most exciting crossover collaboration. But I do think they think, oh, good for them. Like they're going to get the big money and that will let them do more of the work they want to do. I do suspect, however, that it really depends on the corporate deal. So it's not like across the board. Yeah. Like I do think it's still possible for creators to sign with a brand that fans would be like, that's not a good choice. Yeah. One thing that's changed too is that certain influencers, because of the persona they've been able to create for themselves and w- in which they own the publishing channels, a- aka social media, they build a very different rapport. So me starting off my YouTube by saying, hey, thanks to Squarespace, they've supported me in my creative journey. And that creative journey allows you to see X, Y, Z, right? I think that it creates a very different expectation Mm. versus you appearing in a Pepsi ad. Mm, That's actually very different. Great example, like Nicole watches a lot of baking videos or cooking videos with like binging with Babish. Oh, yeah. Right? And I think that he's built such a good persona around just being a wholesome down-to-earth dude who allows you to connect A to B. Squarespace allows me to make better edits or blah, blah, blah. No, I also watch those videos. So I know what you mean. Like I have a lot of trust in Babish in picking sponsors that make sense Mm -hmm. for him. And like the way he talks about it is in a way where it's like very explanatory. There's, there would be much less of that confusion as a supporter. Like, Mm -hmm. why are you and this brand in this together? Yep. I was thinking on the other hand, though, that this whole scenario is like mostly all win for creators, but brands can still lose out quite easily because like they can 
support obscure artists that don't wind up making it big or they have to keep finding new artists to be supporters of mm. because like to keep up with the times. Right. Plus, I think people are more skeptical of bad fits when it comes to like brands. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like a brand picks a bad fit of an influencer as a viewer. I think I would be more skeptical of the brand as opposed to the creator. Like, I can't believe they found them. But then it's in a two way street where the influencer has to say yes. Like the fan is more likely to be critical of the brand yeah. than the creator, like yeah. the, of the individual influencer. So there's this quote from the article that's this essentially the same thing as what you said. Chris Black, a partner at brand consultancy and media company, public announcement said that fans will view Amanda Gorman as affording herself the time to work on the things she cares about. The people who respect her and like what she does, they understand you can't live on principle alone if you want to survive as an artist. So a question I wanted to ask you is a, is a personal question about Macon. So in light of this article, if we agree that fans are much less critical of creators working with corporates, should Macon work more with corporates? Like, should we open that door when historically we haven't? And I know there's no, some so, distinction here yeah. because we're not an influencer. Yeah, we're not influential. Like Macon's the- not Eugene can yeah yeah my personal take on it has always been that building brand takes a long time and you're just every every passing moment everything you put out anything that actually supports a vision is like adding another brick right but interestingly enough that brick or that foundation isn't always built on the most robust materials because one misalignment could bring the whole thing down or quickly bring it down. So that's why for me, I'm like, we've had this discussion before where Macon feels like it it exists better as a public good versus an entity that needs to make money. It's not to say that we shouldn't find ways to make money to support itself. But I think that at some point, its existence will hopefully allow it to take on an opportunity with an outsized return. Versus, let me try to get 500 bucks here, $1,000 there. Sure. So I'd much rather us play a much longer game to achieve that. And also, I think that at this given moment in time, I very much preserve the creative integrity of making. And because I'm personally like quite busy with a lot of things, it's like I should be excited about doing it rather than trying to do it for a paycheck. So I'd much rather optimize sounds bad but like optimize revenue to things that are as easy as possible to make as much money as possible and i say that not for making but i say it from the perspective of like just things i do that need to go into making does that make sense like yeah like yeah, for example if i take an adam studios job there has to be a fair reward relative to the investment so that that can be skimmed off the top and then put into making. I think for me, part of where this question comes from is that I've always been very careful about reader and public perception of making. And I think there's a lot of trust in the fact that we don't sell ad space or do sponsored written content. I have an increasing frequency of emails asking us if we publish paid content and if we would work on paid content. But I... I think that reader perception is very valuable 
But at the same time, this article is saying like people don't care as much as they used to if you're getting the money. Yes, correct. So I guess that's where my question comes from. It's just thinking like, well, maybe people will just think of those articles as like us getting money type thing. And I, I completely agree with your stance. Like I know where you're coming from, but yeah, that's just like. It's a very old school mentality in my opinion. Like I think that even if people wouldn't care whether they got paid, I would feel some type of. I would. Maybe I've, I've just been like creatively squeezed so much that I need a safe, call it a safe space, right? Like a space where you just have no financial obligations you're proud of, you look at. Yeah. And that's what making is. And I think that it, it, it potentially fucks a few things up because like the timelines are different. No one's like hustling to make money per se. It's taken us forever to launch an online store that's yeah. been ready to go. But I think that perhaps the difference might be that when there is a level of commerce to making that currently doesn't exist beyond a Patreon, perhaps opportunities do change. Like, for example, if we launch a store tomorrow and then someone comes like, hey, let's collaborate on a product. That's not really that different than me kind of like creating a piece of content in exchange for money because I will probably create content for a product we release together. Yeah. So it's two in the same it just it looks a little different well i mean i also agree that i wouldn't do it unless it was for big money like i'm not scrounging around for like you know the hundred dollars here and there with corporate deals or at right? the very like, least that like, doesn't make sense to take me. a big paycheck and then put it into something that you think will have an outsized return like yeah that's exactly what it comes down to. exactly like i don't think that you and i think all of us are quite fortunate in that making doesn't pay our bills but we also potentially see a future where it could pay our bills do you agree with that um i don't know yeah i mean if you don't you don't that's i don't fine, know but about totally paying our bills but we'll see yeah making as a whole is like has a source of funding yeah but it's whether it'll be self-sufficient and fund itself there is one crazy stat in this that i didn't double check but i'm gonna say this anyway According to this article, the average American is exposed to 4,000 to 10,000 ads per day. And that stat is from 2015. So surely we're like double that, if not more, in 2021. But I get like, I can't wrap my head around that number. I probably have less. I just like can't imagine where they come from. But anyway, the stat was in relation to the fact that like brands are desperate to get attention which is why it's like real it should in theory be a really good time for creators because brands are out there like yeah. looking for a way to reach people and working with creative people is like one of the best ways to do it right now yeah so everyone go out and get your money get paid good place to wrap things up yeah Good place to cap things off for the day. If you're interested in hearing more about making, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can visit us at makein.com. You can also subscribe to us to your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Patreon members get access to the Making Discord where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.